Good morning. It's uh, great to see you this morning and be with you. Uh, let me also say a big warm welcome for, I, I think, at least for me, several, I see several faces that I haven't seen here before. I've been gone for eight weeks, so you may have been here for a while, but if you're visiting for the first time, we hope you sense a warm welcome from everybody. Hey guys, great to see you. Iris and I have been back in Beijing uh, about a week now. As many of you know, um, my mom uh, passed away last uh, May. Uh, she started, she's 94 years old. Uh, she started declining pretty rapidly in late April. And my sisters uh, finally said, better come. And then she lasted three weeks uh, before she passed quietly in her sleep one Monday evening. But my mom died well. She was a Christ follower uh, most all of her adult life, and she never complained, even though she was very uncomfortable toward the end, and she was surrounded by people uh, that she loved. And so uh, it was a great, in some ways, a great experience to see. You know, the Lord says uh, uh, he delights in the death of his people. And so, although it was very difficult in some ways and painful to see, she was essentially was my only parent because my father died when I was quite young, but uh, we uh, all took hope in the fact that when she crossed that threshold, she uh, was embraced by the loving arms of Jesus. Um, then we actually spent uh, time with Iris's dad, who has uh, terminal cancer. We're kind of in a strange period of life. We're at that age where we're helping our, our parents uh, pass on. And uh, for the first time in 20 years of living in China, uh, we've decided to spend this coming year in the States. Um, Iris's dad is declining uh, pretty rapidly, and he uh, needs help. And uh, he doesn't really have anybody else that's in a position to care for him. So we've agreed to go back and, uh, in early September and help him through this uh, process. It's taken time for us to adjust to the idea because China in many ways has become home for us. But now, uh, apart from the, you know, Iris's dad's decline, we're looking forward to it. It should be a, a new, fresh time of, of getting some downtime and doing some study and doing uh, seeing some friends that we haven't connected with in, in quite a while. Uh, the board is making preparations and has already made many of the preparations that are needed for our absence, and so I know that uh, CCC will have a great year. Uh, not even going to be a little blip on the radar. Uh, we're just not that important around here. Uh, but uh, we look forward to being here for these next eight weeks. Uh, two days ago, John made passing reference to it. I had my 59th birthday. Uh, I therefore, <laughs> I've therefore now more or less uh, become an old guy. Uh, I was having breakfast with some friends uh, this week and uh, I was telling them how my thinking has changed uh, recently. Uh, even in my 50s, somehow, uh, by the way, there's, there's going to be probably some birds flying around. And last week they were they're singing very enthusiastically. We've got quite an aviary developing in our friendly place here. We're taking steps to capture or otherwise 
make them leave, but we have been unsuccessful in doing so yet, but we'll just deal with it until we can. But in any case, even through my 50s, uh, I have uh, always, more or less, kind of naively thought that my future was just extending out there uh, indefinitely. Uh, but this past year, as I watched my mom uh, pass and am watching Iris's dad uh, dying, it's dawned on me that I'm just not a young guy anymore. Um, Time is passing, and so I've been thinking quite a bit about my life over the last almost six decades uh, recently. Some of my expectations have been fulfilled uh, in remarkable ways. And on the other hand, some of the most difficult times that I've experienced in my life have been times of realizing that some things that I had hoped for and dreamed about we're probably just not going to happen. When we have big expectations that aren't fulfilled, uh, we can sometimes go off the rails. Uh, When we're young, if we have expectations in relationships, in our teen years particularly, we experience a broken heart. Uh, We can make personal and emotional decisions that can have an effect uh, on our life for the rest of our life. Uh, Lots of men in their early 40s, as most of us know, if they haven't achieved the professional goals uh, that they set for themselves, if life doesn't look like what they were hoping for and anticipating, uh, they can make crazy choices. They can leave their uh, wives and good marriages and great families in this pursuit, uh, this elusive pursuit of becoming the person that they hoped they would be or want to be, women sometimes uh, become chronically depressed uh, when their expectations in their relationships, particularly with their spouse, are are not fulfilled. So for the next three weeks, I want to explore some of the teaching of Jesus uh, that offers great hope uh, for us uh, when reality doesn't quite match our expectations. Uh, Jesus offered this counsel uh, when the hopes and dreams of his friends and his disciples were about to be crushed. Uh, and his counsel is recorded for us in the Gospel of John, chapters 14 through 16. And I want to begin reading in verse 33 of chapter 13. And in this verse, uh, Jesus In a conversation, his last extended conversation with his disciples before he uh, was crucified, he said, I will be with you only a short while longer, and you cannot come where I'm going. Now, the conversation takes place in Jerusalem during the annual Jewish festival of the Passover, Many thousands of people from around Israel had traveled into Jerusalem as they did at this time of year because it was the greatest festival and holiday and religious ceremony in in the annual calendar of the Jewish people. So many thousands that wouldn't ordinarily be in the city were there. Uh, The Gospel of Matthew chapter 21 uh, describes as how when Jesus was entering the city, 
that thousands of people lined the roadways and many of them were shouting out, Blessed, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Of course, referring to Jesus on the back of this donkey as he humbly entered the city. And Matthew tells us that the entire city was stirred. Uh, they were electrified by the arrival of this person, some of whom had observed him and heard his teaching, and so many had just heard about him and this miraculous events that seemed to be surrounding him and how magnetizing he was on the people around him. Now, the disciples have great hopes and expectations about what's going to happen real soon. Uh, based on some Old Testament prophecies, they believe in this centuries-old tradition that when Israel's Messiah arrives, that this dramatic new political era will begin. And all of the oppressors that have oppressed them in the past, and Rome, which was oppressing them and taxing them into poverty at the time, where the power of those regimes was going to be broken and the nation politically and economically was going to move into an entirely unprecedented era of greatness and power. And uh, because of Jesus' teaching and the miracles that he had performed, they are absolutely convinced that he's the Messiah. He is the one that the nation has been looking forward to and expecting for centuries. And they have the privilege of being actually associated closely with this individual. And so convinced are they that this national regime, a new national regime, is about to begin. In this very conversation, uh, we're told that as they were having a meal, because some of them had some definite selfish ambition, uh, they started arguing about their relative position and authority and greatness in this new era that's about to dawn. But then Jesus shocks them uh, with these words that are recorded for us in verse 33 when he says, I will be with you only a short while longer and you can't come where I'm going. And I'm sure when they heard that they were thinking, what? You know, what, what on earth are you saying? This, this makes no sense to us. You've made these strange remarks about your dying, but that doesn't fit with our ideas of all of this. What in the world are you saying? And they, they become upset and confused and begin asking Jesus, well, where are you going? He seems to be crushing their hopes and dreams for their future. In the next few minutes, we aren't told whether or not he straightens out uh, some of their limited thinking about Old Testament prophecy. Certainly, if that happened, it's not recorded for us in this uh, set of uh, verses in this story. But what he does is he promises them an amazing new future and hope, but one that's very, very different than what they have expected. And uh, he makes three promises to them. He promises them first... Uh, a new kind of companionship and guidance, spiritually speaking, that will surpass anything that they've ever known before, even in his presence. 
And secondly, he promises them that a new kind of purpose will, he will offer them and, and they will be engaged in that will be far more significant and important than what they've been expecting and the roles that they have been perceiving for themselves in this great new order and scheme of things they've thought about. And then third, he promises them a type of relationship with God that is astonishing and breathtaking uh, in its implications. So in the remainder of our time this morning, we're going to look at a few of the verses as promise of this new kind of companionship and guidance. And then in the following two weeks, we're going to look at uh, his promises about uh, purpose and this new relationship or depth of relationship with God. We read in John chapter 14, verse 1, and then skipping on to 16 and 17, because there are far too, there's far too much content for our time this morning, uh, we read these verses. He says, he knows that they are upset, they are confused, that they are in turmoil, that what they were thinking and expecting is not going to happen, and yet he says, don't let your heart be troubled. And then he goes on, he says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper who will be with you forever. The Spirit of truth, he lives with you and will be in you. Now, the word he uses for helper here is the Greek word parakletos, and uh, so he describes this new companion, this parakletos, uh, that the word actually has several nuances of meaning in, in Greek. Uh, first, uh, it has a nuance of a helper. This new companion that he is about to send them will be their helper. That is, he will be their partner, their collaborator in whatever God calls them to do in their marriages, in their families, in their work, uh, in their collaboration, in their effort uh, for him. Secondly, he will be a comforter. This is another dimension of that word parakletos. Now, a comforter, if we look at that word in the dictionary, it's one who reassures, who consoles, who calms, who relieves. So what we see here, he is promising a person that he will send to them and that they will be experiencing that has a reassuring uh, presence in their life and will console them when they're hurting and when they're suffering, that will calm them in times of their fears, relieve uh, some of their anxieties. And then he will be their encourager. This is another aspect of that word. He will give them confidence. He will have the ability to energize them and create within them vision and direction. And he will endow them with courage that's actually completely extrinsic to them. It's not an aid to them. He will energize them in such a way that they will have courage to do things that they otherwise probably wouldn't be predisposed to do. He will brighten their outlook in times of discouragement, 
and stress and problems. Uh, and then he says he has been with them. He's saying that this companion has been with us. He, he's been with you in this period that we have traveled and we have ministered to these multitudes in Israel. But soon he will be in you. Something is about to happen on the horizon, Jesus says, and he, he is going to enter into a completely new type of relationship with you so that in a mysterious way he is going to actually dwell in your spirit, enabling you to connect with him uh, as a broad community in ways that have been, are unprecedented in the history of God's program on earth. And then he goes on in verse 26, in chapter 14, he says, The Helper, the Holy Spirit of truth, will teach you. He will remind you of what I've said to you. He will guide you into the truth. Now, the Bible uh, describes God as the God of truth. He has all the facts, he has all the information, and he reveals himself uh, to mankind and to the creation in different ways. The Bible describes God revealing himself to us first through general revelation. Now what this means is that if we study cosmology and science and geology and all the, the life sciences and the physical sciences, that we can see a beauty and complexity and, and design in what has been created so that it inevitably points to, his, to a creator, to a rational mind, and that reveals to us his, this, there's a being out there with an eternal power and divine nature. And that if people are, the scripture, Paul in Romans 1 and elsewhere, it says if whatever the scientific discipline, if people are genuinely open to recognizing and connecting with that creator, they will come to understand that unambiguously. They will accept that. But if there's something within them that turns from truth, ultimate spiritual truth and light, regardless of the evidence of design, they will reject it. They will deny it. They will be agnostic or atheistic, but God first reveals himself through general revelation, secondly through special revelation, which is through uh, the scripture. Uh, God tells us that he reveals himself to us through the pages of holy scripture. Uh, we have in the Old Testament uh, this amazing story of God choosing his people and then revealing himself to them over a period of uh, more than a century. And we can learn about our relationship with him by observing uh, his relationship with Israel. And so, and then of course we have the New Testament. This is special revelation. And then there is personal revelation. As we read the Old Testament and the New Testament, we see that periodically God would not only reveal himself to people generally through what's been created and through scripture, but he would intervene in very clear and unmistakable ways in people's minds and hearts and circumstances in ways that uh, absolutely are undeniable and, abs and confirm beyond the shadow of a doubt that God is directing, that he is in my life, that he 
is guiding me and comforting and leading me in different ways. So that's a type of personal revelation. But Jesus promises in this new era that their new companion, their helper, their encourager, the spirit of truth will guide them into the truth. That as they seek the truth, as they seek the facts, as they seek spiritual reality, and in fact wisdom about living, that he will guide them very specifically and personally into the insight that they need to understand the big scheme of things, uh, God's program on earth and their particular relationship to that program, and how to do life wisely and effectively. Now, um, truth can be sometimes painful, but it's ultimately liberating. So the Spirit at times may reveal and can and does reveal information to us, if we're open to us, about ourselves that reveals to us just how broken and how needful, needy that we really are. But as we own that, as we accept that, then we have a deeper and deeper appreciation for the magnificence of Jesus and what he offers us in his loving kindness and his astonishing grace and goodness and generosity. So because of this, uh, because what is Jesus is saying about this new companion, encourager, helper, comforter that he's about to send, um, he makes this remark in, in chapter 16 of John, verses 7 and 13. He says, I'm telling you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. If I didn't leave, the helper wouldn't come to you. After I go, I will send him uh, to you. Uh, he shall take insight from me and shall disclose it to you. He will pull aside the curtains so that you can perceive me in quiet, intimate, but very real ways that will be life-changing and that will have an eternal effect on your well-being and uh, on your life on earth. Now, as we read on in the New Testament, the book of Acts, we know that 50 days later, after his death, his crucifixion and resurrection, uh, 50 days later during the annual National Jewish Festival of Pentecost, Jesus absolutely fulfilled this first promise. As we read in Acts uh, chapter 2, I'm just reading a portion of verses 1 through 4. We read, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together, that is all of his disciples, though his had followed him so closely over this period. Uh, they were all together, and then uh, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And if we read those verses, there's some spectacular, miraculous signs that uh, were revealed by God at that time because it's the beginning of an, a whole new period. Now, interpreting the book of Acts, we know that that does not happen uh, today. It was a one time, it, was, uh, it can happen but we rarely see it happening, and certainly most of us have never seen it happening in the way that it happened on this particular day when it was the very beginning of this new era that Jesus is talking about. And so the Spirit was given to his people, and he gave them this unforgettable experience on that particular day so they would never forget 
that this is a whole new day in God's program. And the rest of the book of the Acts, uh, as we read it, it's a fascinating history. If you've never read the book of the Acts, read it. It's 28 chapters, I believe. And it's a fascinating story of how the Spirit then begins encouraging and helping and collaborating with the disciples and with all those who are turning to Christ. He, the Spirit begins in, uh, giving them courage and vision, and then they begin evangelizing the nation of Israel in ways that were astonishing. And then this faith that was... Uh, quite small and relatively unknown, begins spreading across the Roman Empire. And then 300 years later, the Roman Empire, the emperor converts, and we know that Western civilization, and then the rest of the world has never been the same since because of what happened in fulfillment of Jesus' promise. Questions for you this morning. Um, as you, as a Christ follower... Are you experiencing um, the Holy Spirit and the ways that Jesus uh, is promising here? Are you experiencing his uh, helping, comforting, encouraging presence today uh, or recently? Are you experiencing his efforts to guide you more deeply into the truth? Uh, regularly, uh, periodically, if not regularly, are you sensing direction? You sense, as you turn to Scripture and read His Word, are you sensing the reality of His presence? And are you sensing His direction and His guidance as you seek truth here, as the Spirit leads you? If not, uh, it's important for all of us to ask, why not? Because it's available to all who believe in Christ, who recognize his identity. Uh, all those that are embraced by him have this marvelous promise of this companion. And, and so if we're not experiencing uh, his ministry in some pretty consistent ways, then it's important to ask, why not? And it may be one reason that if you're not, or recently not, it may be that uh, you're just not disengaging uh, long enough uh, to quiet yourself, to settle yourself, to, to, to withdraw from all the complexities and the demands and the pressures and the high energy of life and all that you've got going on for a period that's sufficient to enable you to calm your mind and heart and begin listening and connecting with the Spirit and hearing His quiet but very distinct a voice and experiencing his ministry to you. Now, this can happen to, certainly to any of us. Um, Iris and I uh, recently, uh, back when we were in the States, uh, we experienced a, a several, uh, well, I would say a period in which God seemed very, very uh, distant and we were uh, under great stress. Of course, I love my mom deeply. Um, and then I go back, and it's just so excruciating uh, to see this person that has cared for you and provided life and, you know, provision and enabled basically everything in your life as a young person to see her slowly uh, slipping away and suffering in some ways. 
And it's just so, it's just like you just got to gear up to uh, try to deal with it. And it's very exhausting emotionally. And Iris comes, and then we do her memorial service, and then we go over and we get into her dad's uh, circumstances and his declining health. And, of course, all of that is, is happening after a very busy and demanding year in which even when we, let, when we arrived, uh, we were pretty stressed and, and pretty wasted. So after we had spent some time with her dad, we, we took a, a two-week holiday. We had some dear friends in the state of Georgia and eastern U.S. who had a small lake cabin, and so they made it available to us for a couple of weeks, and we just went there and vegetated. <laughs> For two weeks, we, we just sat there, beautiful windows that opened out to this quiet, peaceful lake, and we just stared at the water <laughs> uh, for two weeks. We didn't see anybody except for this dear couple that we're friends with. We saw them several times and had meals and connected. But it, you know, we just felt awful at the beginning of that. And we weren't, I mean, God didn't seem, you know, it, by no means, you know, uh, spiritually and emotionally speaking, a part of our circumstances, but we just tried to settle and calm ourselves and experience a Sabbath. The, the idea of Sabbath is very uh, persistent in Scripture. God encourages us to draw away. So if, if, if you're not experiencing His ministry to, to you, you may just need a rest. You need to make it a priority and do whatever it takes uh, to if, get help with kids or whatever, uh, get to a place where you can disengage and let your mind and emotions uh, experience peace and serenity and calm and then reconnect. Or there may be something within you that, uh, if you're not, is, is blocking his ministry to you. Uh, the scripture says that we can actually grieve the spirit. We can hurt his feelings in a particular way. If, we, if he is urging us to either refrain from something or we're, uh, he's encouraging us to do something, and we refuse. We do, don't listen, then we can grieve him because he has all the attributes of God, or we can quench him. And if we refuse him over a period of time, then uh, his voice becomes more and more distant and more difficult to discern and perceive, and so then God becomes more elusive and uh, much uh, more removed from us. And in that case... We just have to deal with it. We have to seek insight and direction about what it is that's blocking our experience of the reality of God and then confess that and try to uh, make some changes. The good news this morning, uh, in conclusion, is that you and I, as Christ followers, just like his disciples, have been given a spiritual helper, a comforter, a teacher, a guide and friend who is on your side. He wants to encourage you. He wants to make Christ real to you and me. He wants to give you wisdom and consolation and peace. And so uh, let's seek that uh, together in coming weeks and, and certainly this coming year. Uh, I'd like to play a recorded song this morning that just happens to be particularly relevant to what to this these passages of scripture. So we're going to play the song, and I just encourage you to make uh, the prayer, your prayer, the, the words of this song your own. And then uh, John Gates will come up and close us this morning. <laughs> 